It is Thursday, the 19th of October. It's the Feast of the North American Martyrs. Let's ask for their intercession today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. O God, who chose to manifest the blessed hope of your eternal kingdom by the toil of Saints John de Brebeuf, Isaac Jogues, and their companions, and by the shedding of their blood, graciously grant that through their intercession the faith of Christians may be strengthened day by day. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Martyrs of North America. Pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Glad to have you along here on a Thursday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, we've been doing a series with Father Robert Nixon on a work from St. Albert the Great that he translated. And we're going to talk about what St. Albert had to say about obedience. Also this hour, Brian O'Neill, who is the author of 150 North American Martyrs You Should Know, seems like an appropriate guy to talk to on this feast of the North American Martyrs. Father Nicholas Blackwell will share some thoughts on the recent letter that Pope Francis issued on St. Therese. Father Blackwell is a Carmelite, just like St. Therese, and so he's got some cool insights into that. And then we'll have some conversation on how to do a better job managing stress and maybe how to help um, find a person in your life who can help you as you manage stress. Pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast has some thoughts on that. Right now it is two minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. The U.S. has vetoed a U.N. resolution that called for a pause in the Hamas-Israel conflict. Twelve members of the U.N. Security Council voted in favor of a resolution yesterday, which would have called for a pause in the conflict to allow humanitarian aid to reach Gaza. U.S. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield told the council that the U.S. is, quote, on the ground doing the hard work of diplomacy and insisted, quote, we need to let that diplomacy play out. She also blamed the Palestinian group Hamas for the crisis and said the U.S. was disappointed that the resolution made no mention of Israel's rights of self-defense. Meanwhile, the Israel-Hamas war is now in its 12th day of fighting, and so far more than 4,800 people have been killed total in Gaza and Israel. Protests have broken out across the Middle East after a deadly explosion at a Gaza hospital killed hundreds on Tuesday. Palestinian officials blamed Israel for the bombing. Israel denied any involvement. Preliminary investigations by the United States say that the rocket came from Palestinian territory. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis called for another worldwide day of prayer and fasting for peace in the Holy Land and around the world. From Vatican Radio, Joseph Tullock reports. The number of victims is growing and the situation in Gaza is desperate. With these words, 
Pope Francis turned his thoughts to Palestine and Israel, pleading that everything possible be done to avoid a humanitarian catastrophe. The Holy Father also drew attention to the unsettling possibility that the armed conflict might expand. There are already so many open war fronts, he lamented. In light of these circumstances, he implored, lay down weapons and heed the cries for peace from the poor, the people and the innocent children. Fratelli e sorelle, la guerra non risolve alcun problema. War solves no problems, he continued. It only sows death and destruction, increases hatred, multiplies revenge. It erases the future. The Holy Father went on to urge all believers to take one side only, that of peace. But not, he said, with words, with prayer and with total dedication. In this regard, Pope Francis invited everyone to a day of prayer, fasting and penance for peace. On Friday, the 27th of October, he encouraged people of different Christian denominations, other religions, and all those who advocate for peace to participate as they see fit. The central event will be an hour of prayer at 6 p.m. in St. Peter's Square, with the goal of invoking peace for the world. I'm Joseph Tullock. During his general audience catechesis, the Holy Father focused on St. Charles de Foucault as he continued his series on those who exemplify apostolic zeal. The Holy Father said that Charles moved to the desert to cry out the gospel in silence. He said, quote, Charles let Jesus act silently, convinced that the Eucharistic life evangelizes. He said, indeed, he believed that Christ is the first evangelizer. The U.S. is targeting Iran's missile and UAV programs with new sanctions. Lisa Taylor reports. The Treasury Department press release says it sanctioned 11 individuals, eight in titles, and one vessel based in Iran and other countries that are enabling Iran's programs. This comes as the war in Gaza causes rising tensions in the Middle East. I'm Lisa Taylor. A third vote will be held today to possibly elect Ohio Republican Jim Jordan as the next Speaker of the House. After failing to get the necessary votes following a second round of ballots yesterday, Jordan told reporters he plans to keep talking with members of his party to try to flip some holdouts. Twenty-two Republicans voted against Jordan, two more than were opposed to him on Tuesday's first vote. A third speaker vote is scheduled for noon Eastern time today. More American back in the office. U.S. work-from-home rates have dropped to the lowest since the pandemic. According to the latest census data, fewer than 26 percent of households still have someone working remotely at least one day a week. That's a sharp decrease from early 2021's peak of 37%. And the Astros picked up a crucial win in the American League Championship Series. Houston now trails the series 2-1 after downing the Texas Rangers 8-5 in Game 3 at Globe Life Field. The Astros scored three runs in the second inning and never looked back on the way to the win. The series continues with game four in Arlington tonight. Yeah, it's uh, so I, I watched just a little bit of it last night mm-hmm. at the very end of my day. And yeah, the Astros were they were rocking. But, you know, bear in mind that, uh, you know, Max Scherzer is one of those guys. He's uh, he's a power pitcher, which means that if you make contact, you got a chance. Mm hmm. But, That's a good uh, point. Yeah, you're right. He uh, he grunts very hard when he throws. Max does. You know this. Max Max effort. They say Max effort. Indeed, Max effort. He's or a very Max's intense competitor. Effort. There you go. 
There you go. I, I can't remember how they say it. But <laughs> good luck. I'm I'm at this Catholic radio conference with all these Guadalupe radio people, and there is some uh, there's some Astros Rangers, you know, conflicted emotions going on. Yeah. In well, Guadalupe I radio country. So. Yeah. How's that been going? You've been, been talking going to people well. about the series. Uh, a little bit. A little bit. I've mostly been, you know, licking my wounds from Adam Wright's Cardinals. Ugh. But that's about it. Okay. Well, good to know. You tell everybody I say hello? I will. Got to see him all day today. Okay, good. Okay, good. Well, today is Thursday, October the 19th. It is the Feast of the North American Martyrs. More on them in just a little bit with Brian O'Neill, who wrote a book about them, and a bunch of other North American martyrs. Right now... Back with us on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Robert Nixon. He's a Benedictine monk at New Norcia in Australia and translator of the Tan Resurrection series. And we are going through a book by St. Albert the Great, The Paradise of the Soul, 42 Virtues to Reach Heaven. Father, welcome back. Thank you very much, Eddie. It's great to be with you. It is great to have you. And today we are on to the virtue of obedience. And again, I want to start with a question about the order in which Albert decided to place these virtues. Yeah. So first love, then humility, and third obedience. Why would obedience be so high on the list? Indeed. Well, Annie, there's a number of reasons. Um, I think one of the key reasons is that his original readership would have largely been um, people within his own order, the Mm. Dominican order, as well as other religious monks and priests. And uh, we all live under a vow of obedience. So poverty, chastity, and obedience, as well as stability for Benedictine monks. But it certainly is a key feature of the religious life, and perhaps the vow which most people tend to struggle with. Um, over the longest period of time. But having said that, um, obedience is important for people in other vocations, in married life, for example, where there's mutual obedience, and in all lines of work where there is uh, obedience to one's legitimate authorities implied. So obedience is um, a very important basis to to correct and virtuous um, behavior. If obedience isn't there, a person then remains fundamentally uh, self-willed, and uh, this self-will is contrary to so many things. So obedience is such an important virtue for everyone to cultivate. Well, how does he define true obedience? So he, he talks about a number of characteristics of genuine obedience. And this is obeying um, legitimate directions from one's authorities, people whom one is bound to obey, and to do it not just mechanically, but to do it in such a way that you wholeheartedly embrace what you're being asked to do. So you show not the slightest sign of resentment in in your demeanor or in your words or in your actions. I think this is such a key thing. Um, I think sometimes people believe they're being obedient, but the fact that they're not happy about it, that they're resentful or grudging, actually comes through in the way they behave mm-hmm. and in the way they do what they're asked to do. Yeah, I'm so not going to lie, Father. Oh, go ahead. Yeah? Sorry. 
No? Do you experience that sometimes? Oh, no. Well, I mean, I do personally. I have to say that while I was reading through this chapter by St. Albert, I was wanting my four-year-old to be capable of reading so that I could (laughs) hand him this chapter. Because, you know, the one thing that I really appreciated about this as, as a parent which is the you know the situation in which from which I am I am reading what St Albert has to say here is that oftentimes you have to leave one good for another good exactly so he makes the point here that true obedience is never going to require us to do anything which is actually evil or contrary to divine law because then it wouldn't be a virtue at all But the fact is that um, we can't choose to do every good thing there is. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes obedience might require us to cease doing one thing, which is in its way good, to do something else, which is also good. And in these cases, we need to defer to the judgment of of the person who is um, our superior, the person to whom we owe obedience. And this is very difficult, particularly for monks, because, you know, we often tend to feel that we know best or whatever, but we need to think, well, our our superior, our abbot, um, has been charged with this office of obedience. And as long as he's not asking us to do something which is actually bad, which he would never do, but he's asking us to do things which are all good, but good in different ways. So we need to defer to the judgment of others. And that implies humility which I think is so important. Yes, absolutely. And I in in true St. Albert fashion, I'm I'm learning even early on in this book. He always kind of calls us out because it's easy to be obedient, he says, um when you're doing something that somebody asked you to do and you wanted to do it anyway, but the the measure of true obedience is when you have to move away from something you wanted to do and do something that you didn't want to do. That's exactly right. And and that involves um, deferring to the judgment of another. And a key point is that we don't show resentment. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think about when I used to be, uh, before I entered religious life, I was a teacher. And very often, uh, particularly with teenagers, they would obey you but, you know, that would make it clear that they actually didn't want to obey you. And I think um, we need to be careful about that. Mm-hmm. We need to take on things wholeheartedly. And this is so such an important thing. He says we need to know to discern what the actual will and intention of our superior is and try to put it into practice, not just to do what we're told in a mechanical or minimal way, but uh, fully to embrace it. So what are some signs that you are being truly obedient that St. Albert talks about in here? So, as he says, this um, a key sign is to do things wholeheartedly. So if you're asked to do something which you may not particularly be inclined to do, to do it well and enthusiastically and to the best of your ability. Um, the other thing is that... There is a certain kind of anticipation or discerning of what your superior actually wants you to do um, and the reasons he wants you to do that. And I'm saying he here, but it could be anything. And now this would be also applying in married life, for example. So if you 
if you have a sense that your husband or wife wants something, even if they don't specifically ask, then you would go out of your way to do it. The same with a child and his parents. If you, if a child has a sense that his or her parents want them to do something, even if they're not specifically asked, they'll do their best to do it. And this is true obedience. It's a kind of active um, following of the will of another. Yes, kids, I want you to clean the living room. <laughs> so just anticipate yeah. it and do it before I ask. That's <laughs> And isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful, Annie, when people do things without being yes. asked? Yes, it is. It's yeah. incredible. This was such an enlightening chapter, and I'm so glad we're going through this book. It's called The Paradise of the Soul by St. Albert the Great, translated by Father Robert Nixon. Father, really appreciate your thoughts on this this morning and look forward to next time. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you, Ed. You Bye. too, Father. Thank you. And you can find this book and all of our guests linked in the show notes for the day at sunrisemorningshow.com. We got headlines coming up next. It's 17 past. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is. And put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity Health Share, 844-334-3245. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonricemorningshow.com. EWTN's religious catalog has terrific suggestions for Christmas gifts. The Spiritual Wisdom of Mother Angelica boxed set includes all seven volumes of Mother Angelica's Spiritual Wisdom, and it's beautifully presented in a decorative board box. The Spiritual Wisdom of Mother Angelica boxed set is one of many great Christmas gifts from EWTN Religious Catalog. For more, visit EWTNRC.com today. 19 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. President Biden will address the nation tonight about the conflict that's raging in the Gaza Strip. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis called for another worldwide day of prayer and fasting for peace in the Holy Land and around the world. And during his catechesis, continued his series on apostolic zeal, focusing this time on St. Charles de Foucault. Yes, St. Charles de Foucault, who I believe he canonized uh, not very yeah, long not ago. Yeah, not too long ago. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we have a hermit that works for us at the Coming Home Network who loves St. Charles. Well, doesn't so, surprise me. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna have to see what his take is on this. Uh, you know, Charles, he led a kind of an interesting life, mm-hmm. to say the least. He would have been a very, very good guest on the journey home, but yes. he probably would not have left being a hermit to uh, accept yeah. an invitation to be on television. I believe that. But, but yeah, and today the feast of the North American martyrs. So a happy feast day to all of you uh, living up in upstate New York, and uh, maybe on the southern edges of the part of Canada that comes near that. I thought you were going to say a big happy feast day to the Isaacs in the crowd. Yes, and the To Jeans. the Jeans. To the Renés. The Renés out there. The uh, Noels. Noel Charbonnel. Charbonnel. We get to talk about Noel Charbonnel a little bit with uh, oh Brian O'Neill coming that up just That guy. I'm so amazed by him particularly. I'm amazed by all the North American martyrs. Well, I mean, yes, but Noel Martyrs Charbonnel. of North America. Pray Pray for for us. us. ...are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. Some people in the Bible appear to have lived up to their given names. This seems true for a man named Philemon. His name means loving. He apparently offered his home as a gathering place for the church in Colossae. We have a letter from Paul to Philemon, asking him to receive a former slave as an equal in Christ. Paul seems confident that his request will be granted because of the mutual respect Philemon and he have for each other. Paul even takes the liberty to make a light-hearted play on words in his letter. The name of the slave was Onesimus, which means useful, But Paul hopes it is Philemon who will prove useful to him by allowing his slave to return. We cannot know whether Philemon appreciated Paul's sense of humor, but the cordial tone of Paul's letter suggests that the apostle anticipated his request would be granted. The world could certainly benefit from people like Philemon. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Timothy Shear. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Brian O'Neill, who's written a lot of things about the saints over the years, including 150 North American martyrs you should know. Brian, welcome back to the show. Thank you, ma'am. It's good to be with you. You know, when we talk about North American martyrs, immediately a lot of our minds go to Isaac Jogues and John de Brebeuf and companions. When it comes to these heroes of the faith in the New World, uh, how did they end up in that part of what is now New York and Canada? Well, that was part of New France, and the monarchy in France was not just concerned about setting up colonies in the New World, they also wanted to evangelize the people there. 
so they made sure that you know the religious orders that wanted to send people could do so and so that's how they got there well they got here and they found all kinds of interesting challenges right uh language challenges culture shock challenges and a whole bunch of other things you know what was it like for them once they arrived and started doing their mission work well, to just give one example, uh, St. John de Brebeuf spent a decade before he even started becoming passable in the Huron language because they, they use these very flowery, poetic metaphors, and it takes a really long time to be fluent in that. Plus, the sentence structure and the way they spoke was just completely different than you know any of the Romance languages that they were, or even... Indo-European languages they would have been familiar with from their studies and seminary and whatnot. So, um, plus, there was just a completely different way of thinking. You know, when the Penobscot Indians in Maine became converted, they would still roast their prisoners alive. They just wouldn't eat them at human barbecue like they used to. So, um, you know, I mean, it's just this completely different mindset that... No matter you're talking about the Georgia martyrs, the Virginia martyrs, or the typically named North American martyrs, they just came up against wall after wall of a different way of thinking. Well, when you think about it, when we talk about spreading the gospel and evangelizing in our own world, we're usually thinking of a specific person in our life, like a coworker or a family member. In the case of somebody like Jean de Brebeuf, he's looking at an entire culture, right, who has no point of reference uh, for the kinds of things that he's trying to explain from scratch, uh, trying to figure out what are the things that they already know about, what are the, their already existing concepts of God, and how can I build off of that to show them the true God and uh, Jesus, his son. So, I mean, it's an amazing thing to think about. Do you have a favorite one of these martyrs as you were putting together uh, some of the research for your book? Um, well, the typically named North American martyrs, I mean, you could pick several. St. John de Brebeuf, because he came up with this a completely radical new way of evangelizing. I mean, he had to die to himself to do it. St. Isaac Job, who escaped from being tortured and imprisoned by the Iroquois, the Mohawks, and was sent back to the New World, and then was sent back as an ambassador to the very village from which he had escaped from. And he knew he was going to his death, and yet he believed this was God's will. Father Charles Garnier, who had amazing childhood issues caused by his father, and yet they're what made him a saint. Father Noel Charbonnel, St. Noel Charbonnel, hated the Indians. He did not like them at all. He didn't like their food, didn't like their language. He just was really not wanting to be a missionary. And yet he determined this was God's will for him, so he made a personal vow of stability, meaning he would never go back home to France to the comfortable life for which he had longed. They're all just great examples for us. They really are. And when you think about that last case you mentioned, uh, you know, Noel Charbonnel, you know, not only was he there to convert the natives that he met, uh, obviously he was there so God could convert him too, right, and bring a sense of radical charity into his life towards people that he had not really—I mean, you reminded of Jonah, right, who didn't want to save the Ninevites, and yet uh, he knew that God had shown him love and was asking him to do something extraordinary, and in that he found charity, he found self-sacrificing love for these people that he had not 
had any kind of taste for before. Right, exactly. And that's, I mean, we can all find examples of that in our own lives that we can use this example uh, to emulate and make ourselves things. And this is a shrine you can visit. Uh, you know, this is in uh, uh, you know upstate New York. And of course, there's devotion in, in Canada to the North American martyrs uh, as well. And uh, it's an extraordinary thing to go up and visit and be on those grounds, which the blood of the martyrs was spilled there and is the seed of, of the church as well. What's I mean, when you look at the stories of these martyrs, and of course you report not just on the uh, these martyrs of upstate New York and Canada, but you report on all these martyrs. Uh, from all over North America. I mean, what's something that they teach you in your own Christian life today as someone who benefits from their legacy being a North American? These martyrs all help us recognize something very essential. In life, they were not perfect. We're not perfect either. But like them, we're called to be saints. And time after time, they show us how to be saints by giving themselves over to what they discern to be God's will. And whether you're talking about the very first person martyred on North American soil, Father Juan de Padilla in, in 1542, to the last one who was a priest in Alabama who was shot by a member of the KKK back in the 1920s, they all have heroic examples that give us confidence that we too can become saints because it's much like them can become saints it's much like us can become saints may we all progress toward that path and join them in the beatific vision uh, the book is called 150 north american martyrs you should know brian o'neill is the author of it we've got a link to it at sunrise brian o'neill thank you so much have a wonderful day you too matt thanks so much for the time Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. The Biden administration is providing $100 million in humanitarian aid for civilians in Gaza and the West Bank. The administration said it will help support more than a million displaced Palestinians with clean water, food and medical care. President Biden, while visiting Israel yesterday, warned Hamas not to steal or divert the aid that the U.S. and other countries are working to funnel into the region. The humanitarian crisis has grown dire as the area has been repeatedly hit with retaliatory Israeli strikes. And meanwhile, Catholic Relief Services has called for humanitarian access to Gaza and an immediate end to the violence. In a statement yesterday, Sean Callahan, president and CEO of CRS, said, quote, moving 1.1 million people of the 2.2 million in Gaza in the middle of a war zone is impossible and will only lead to unprecedented levels of suffering and further push people to the brink. He said the situation of civilians in Gaza is extremely alarming and desperate, and we need to act now to prevent a total humanitarian catastrophe. President Biden is set to address the nation tonight from the Oval Office. More from Mark Mayfield. A statement from Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre released Wednesday says that Biden will discuss the U.S. response to the Hamas attacks against Israel in a primetime speech at 8 p.m. ET. Biden will also discuss Russia's ongoing war with Ukraine. The president has returned from a brief visit to Israel where he met with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in a show of solidarity. I'm Mark Mayfield. Pope Francis will lead a prayer vigil for peace on Friday, October 27th. 
The Holy Father made the announcement yesterday during his general audience as he called for that day to be a worldwide day of prayer and fasting. The Pope will lead an hour of prayer in St. Peter's Square at 6 p.m. in Rome on the 27th and invited all the particular churches around the world to take part by organizing similar initiatives which involve the people of God. During his general audience catechesis, the Holy Father focused on St. Charles de Foucault as he continued his series on those who exemplify apostolic zeal. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. Born in Strasbourg in 1858, St. Charles served as a soldier in the French army before becoming a hermit and a Catholic priest among the Tuareg people in Algeria, where he was assassinated in 1916. The Pope said the saint made Jesus and his poorest brothers and sisters the passion of his life. After his conversion, St. Charles wrote to a non-believing friend that he had lost his heart to Jesus of Nazareth. Pope Francis said that his words show that the first step in evangelizing is to have Jesus at the center of one's heart. If this does not happen, we can hardly show it with our lives, he said. Instead, we risk talking about ourselves or our morality, but not about Jesus, his love, and his mercy. The Pope noted that St. Charles de Foucault moved from attraction to Jesus to imitation of Jesus, and even felt like a younger brother to the Lord. He went so far as to move to the most remote of places, the Sahara Desert, to live among the Tuareg people, to cry out the gospel in silence. Charles let Jesus act silently, convinced that the Eucharistic life evangelizes, said the Pope. Indeed, he believed that Christ is the first evangelizer. The saints spent up to ten hours a day in prayer before the tabernacle, trusting Jesus to carry out the work of evangelization. In conclusion, Pope Francis invited everyone to live with Christian joy, meekness, tenderness, compassion, and closeness. With his smile and simplicity, concluded the Pope, Brother Charles bore witness to the gospel through attraction. I'm Devin Watkins. Ohio Republican Jim Jordan is not giving up his push to be the next Speaker of the House. After failing to get the necessary votes following a second round of ballots yesterday, Jordan told reporters he plans to keep talking with members of his party to try to flip some holdouts to support him. Twenty-two Republicans voted against Jordan yesterday. That's two more than were opposed to him on Tuesday. Another vote is expected today. Meanwhile, there's a push to expand Speaker pro tempore Patrick McHenry's power, and it's gaining some momentum among members, which would allow Congress to function until a permanent speaker is chosen. It's 35 pounds. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me. 
Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, how is the church one? The church is one because all its members agree in one faith, are all in one communion, and are all under one head. They agree in one faith because there is a single doctrine taught by Christ to his disciples passed on through the apostles and their successors into our time. We can say that just as there is a single mass celebrated all over the world, albeit in different languages and with different nuances, nevertheless there is one communion because it is the communion of Christ. Finally, there is one head of the church, the invisible head Jesus Christ, who reigns through his visible head, the Pope, who is his vicar here on earth. The Holy Spirit guides him, as we have seen, maintaining the unity of the church in doctrine, morals, and in communion. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. We're joined now by our Carmelite correspondent. Father Nicholas Blackwell, an exciting month, October, for anybody in the Carmelite life, whether uh, you have a religious vocation or you're a layperson who is uh, dedicated to Carmelite spirituality. Father, good morning. Good morning to you all. I hope you're having a great uh, great day out there in the Midwest. We are doing our best, and you know, October, a big month for Carmelites anyway, with St. Therese of Lisieux at the beginning of the month on October 1st, and St. Teresa of Avila on the 15th. Uh, but you got a letter this year from the Holy Father about St. Therese. How excited were you and your community about this? Yes, he, he sort of said, you know, previous, what I think was a month, month and a half ago, that this letter was coming out uh, regarding a reflection he wished to give on Therese of Lisieux. So we were all waiting in very joyful anticipation to see what our Holy Father wished to give, not just the Carmelite Order, but the Universal Church in regards to his sort of meditation over this amazing person. All right, so obviously he couldn't talk about St. Therese without at least mentioning the little way. Uh, what are some of the ways that he discussed St. Therese's little way in this letter? Well, the letter is not overly long, and first and foremost, I encourage your listeners to read the letter and to pray with it. Before you go to any other sources, you know, I'm going to say some things today, but it's important for us, the faithful, to read and pray over our Holy Father's words. And within this letter, he gives us a very nice breakdown into sort of four segments. He does have a, you know, a couple paragraphs that are short that introduce what's going on here, but then he breaks it down into, you know, four parts. The first part being Jesus for others, and then the little way of trust and love. The third being I will be love, and then finally uh, at the heart of the gospel. You know, each of those are, are very rich things. There's an interesting thing that he has to say in that. Um, passage on the little way of trust and love about the idea of grace and merit. And that's something that can often be confused by our Protestant brothers and sisters when they look out from, uh, you know, the outside, look in at the Catholics and see us doing good things and uh, cooperating with our salvation in, in that way. But there really is good that can be done from us cooperating. And St. Therese is, is pretty strong on this. And the Holy Father points this out, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, and 
in the English translation that's on the website, you know, sort of really leans into the notion of confidence or, or being confident in the Lord. I much more prefer a, a translation of trust, you know, because, oh, I can be confident in my car, but, you know, do I put myself into a, a relationship of trust where I put my life on the line because of my automobile? You know, I don't, I don't have that kind of relationship with my car. That's why I have inspections and all these sort of things. But I trust in God and I put myself into his pierced hands. And it is in that foundational trust that he's trying to show us through reflecting upon Therese Lassoux. And the reality is, if we respond to that trust, which is already being motivated by grace, we will be overcome by a love that pours forth from the very pierced heart of Jesus Christ. And you've mentioned that notion of, of grace and trust and love. Our Holy Father leans heavily, for example, into the teaching of, of the Council of Trent. You know, if you look at the footnotes, they're very beefy on how he's putting forward a notion of grace that comes forth from the Council of Trent. But then he's saying this person, St. Teresa Lisieux, she is like this doctor of synthesis, you know, so she, she knows these things. They're in her mind and they permeate and shape her very heart, a heart that, that gives itself over in trust to the Lord for the sake of love. So that's why he calls her a doctor of synthesis that brings the mind and the heart together. Yeah, I thought that was a very interesting phrase because, you know, you hear about the angelic doctor, right? Thomas Aquinas mm -hmm. and, you know, some of the other doctor names, uh, you know, the mellifluous doctor, Bernard of Clairvaux. But this idea of her as a doctor of synthesis, um, you know, uniting head and heart, I think is a very interesting, um, well, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting sort of critique of, of where we are in our world and in our church, right? You have sometimes people wanting to draw a false dichotomy between being intellectually formed, yes. right? And some, you know, versus, you know, being a person who is, you know, active out in the world, you know, doing doing works of mercy in the corporal sense. And those things are never meant to be two sort of separate camps, right? There's, yeah. They're meant to be synthesized. Yeah, he's, he's very clear. This is, you know, the fourth section, this at the heart of the gospel, he, he really answers in a definitive way of, of why he put this letter out. And he goes back to his, his uh, main document, Evangelium Gaudium, where we put, you know, he's calling us to put first things first. He being, of course, Pope Francis, because he's reminding us that the church is a missionary church, which is straight out of Second Vatican Council at Gentes. But it was a reality that was already present within the church, that the church herself is missionary and therefore to carry forward that missionary message of the good news of the gospel we have to put first things first you know there's this quote-unquote ladder to heaven you know he's trying to get us to the foundation points of of where where does the ladder rest upon and it's the love of god you know so he mentions though there's higher teachings in the church and he's he's not trying to push those aside at all but he's saying we have to get back to basics, which is this fundamental relationship of love that floods our heart from the reality of God's grace in which we can have trust in. And to understand this basic foundation, look towards this amazing person, this amazing saint, Therese Lissou, who helps to incarnate this reality of love through her own life. Ergo, why she's a doctor of synthesis. She knows these things. They are they are planted firmly and grow profoundly in her heart. And she goes forward in her community to share these things, but also in her life of prayer. That's why she is one of the, the patron saints of the missions. Yeah. And uh, this is, there's so many things to be said about St. Therese. I encourage people to go read the whole letter. It won't take you that long, but there is a lot no, it's very short. to it's chew like 13 on. 13 pages. Yeah. So, uh, and in that, you know, 
think about the, the all the stuff going on in our world and all the big things that we want to be able to fix and uh, just that reminder of what does God put in front of us individually today to live the gospel in that very real and tangible and immediate way. Thank you so much, Father uh, Nicholas Blackwell. If our listeners want to connect with you, how do they find you online? Um, you could just go to CarmeliteFriars.com, check out our vocation material, and you can always reach me through that website there. So thank you very much for your time today, and know that I'll be praying for you all. Well, my goodness, we've talked about a lot of saints today. Anna Mitchell, we've talked about, let's see, Albert the Great out of the gates. We talked about the North American Marge. was a whole band, big pack of people. We've talked about a bunch of Carmelites yep. and such. I mean, I, we should start doing like a tally. Like a sheet of how which many saints get talked, saints about, in the get talked of the about. We need to have a bingo card or something. How many times do we mention Jesus? That'd be another one. Um, about five times an interview, <laughs> at least. Exactly. That's on the low end. But at any rate, all you holy men and women, pray, pray for, for us. us. We got pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast coming up next. It's a quarter till. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Are you longing to hear God's voice? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to his voice, to the peace you're seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy by knowing Jesus personally. Lord, teach me to pray is free. Just go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red box and order the Lord, teach me to pray series. Again, that's lordteachmetopray.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The most original Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. On Mother Angelica Answering the Call, Father Joseph and Doug Keck mine decades of phone calls answered by Mother Angelica. No subject is off limits and no problem too big for the wisdom and compassion of the one and only Mother Angelica. Mother Angelica Answering the Call, Sunday afternoon, 2 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Hi, this is Cy Keller. Later today on Catholic Answers Live, Tom Nash, Jimmy Aiken, call with any question you've got. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 13 minutes before the hour, here's Anna with headlines. President Biden is set to address the nation tonight from the Oval Office on the situation in the Holy Land as well as the situation in Ukraine. Pope Francis has announced he will be leading a prayer vigil for peace on Friday, October 27th, and has called for that day to be 
a worldwide day of prayer and fasting. And during his general audience yesterday, the Holy Father focused on St. Charles de Foucault as he continued his series on those who exemplify apostolic zeal. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. If you go to the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com, you can find all of our guests, but you can also find a link to the video stream of the show. And if you see me on it today, you'll notice that it's kind of a weird background. It's because I'm broadcasting from a hotel room because I'm in Birmingham at the Catholic Radio Conference and uh, hanging out with some of the people who work at the Catholic radio stations that help bring you uh, not just our show, but uh, all kinds of great programming all day every day so uh say a special thank you to them and hope you support your local catholic radio station they're doing great work in your community the sunrise morning show continues i'm matt swaim joined now by pastoral counselor kevin prendergast who's got lots of experience in the classroom also in private practice kevin good morning thank you matt you're a busy guy so good luck with this week down there so well i think I think all of our listeners are dealing with a whole bunch of busyness, and some of them are a little overwhelmed by it. And, of course, we're talking um, through Mental Health Month, and and you've got some thoughts on how to get a good helper in your mental health situation. But what are some good sort of foundational things to think about as part of this? Yeah, so even if we don't have a mental health disorder, a diagnosable mental health disorder, uh, life can just get too much for us sometimes, and it can be overwhelming, and we don't know what to do. And so just a couple of thoughts, but, and there's a lot of research on this, too. I'll try to boil it down. I had three key things is we want, whether it's a friend, a spiritual director, confessor, a therapist, a physician, an accountability partner, a sponsor, uh, there's some things that are really in common with all those. So what makes a good helper? So there's three things that struck me, Matt. One is, is true empathy. The second one is the ability to challenge and the third one is that helping should lead into action, right? So I got to I got to do something. So what do I mean by that first one? By empathy. So first of all, whoever it is, if I talk to somebody and they just come out of the gate and hit me over the head with a, a bludgeon and tell me what I'm doing wrong or that I'm just feeling sorry for myself or get over it, quit crying over spit milk or try to give me all kinds of un. un requested suggestions, right? Sometimes people, even counselors, will bombard a person with, you could do this, you could do that, you could do that. That's not a place to start. So first of all, I I need to know just by the person's presence that they care about me, that they genuinely are here for me, they respect me, uh, even if I'm different from them, that they want to hear what's going on, and that they're a good listener. So one of the problems we have in counseling is people get taught not to be directive uh, in a lot of the graduate programs. But then sometimes that leads to another problem is they just sit there. (laughs) They don't say anything. So I need somebody who's going to engage in a dialogue with me, not just sit there in silence, and that they truly listen. They understand I get the sense just from how they are, their look on their face, but also that they maybe, maybe they reflect back and they put into their own words what they've heard me say. All of that builds a sense of connection and rapport and I see that they're they're empathetic, they care about me. The second one, Matt, would be challenge. <laughs> so a friend of mine, my actually my spiritual director, always tells me, you know, Kevin, uh, empathy and sympathy are two different things. So sometimes it's really good to have friends, like just complaint friends, buddies, you know, that we complain about the world about, and they just 
tell us how awful everybody else is and how great we are and they got our back, okay? You know, all of us need that at times. But that's sympathy, that somebody's just taking our position. It gets to be dangerous if I go and complain to a lot of other people about my spouse or about my boss, and they simply take my side, right? So that's more sympathy. They're just aligning with me. So we start with the empathy. We have to feel this person hears me, they care about me, but they care about enough about me that they will challenge. So they'll say, well, have you thought about it this way? You know, maybe you're only looking at one part of the situation with your boss or your coworker or your, your uh, adult child, right? And they say, you know, maybe there's a wider perspective. That's uncomfortable. And some of us as friends or counselors or spiritual directors, we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. We want them to like us. But on the other hand, a good friend, a good uh, listener, a good helper is going to push us a little bit to see things from a different point of view and to build yeah. up our courage to chat, to, de- to deal with things, right? You know, it's interesting, one, as, yeah, you're, yeah. I was mm-hmm. gonna say, as you're talking about this, I can't help but think about our Lord, right? Uh, and Jesus as such a, you know, a perfect model of all this, because, you know, I hear some people who, you know, they're just confrontational all the time, and they're like, well, Jesus was confrontational. And then mm-hmm. I know some people who don't confront anybody about anything and just, you know, don't ask anybody to change anything about their lives because they're like, well, Jesus met people where they are. I'm like, well, he actually he did all those things, uh, but he mostly, first and foremost, saw the situation, <laughs> right, and yeah. saw what that person specifically that was in front of him needed in that situation. And, you know, that that to me is, is you know, one of the one of the genius things about his earthly ministry. Yeah, and that's how we can cooperate with grace. So somebody helps us. The two examples from the scriptures that you bring it up, so Jesus with the Gerasene demoniac cast out the demons into the pigs, right? So it's a very dramatic story. But then he says, you know, the guy wants to go with Jesus, and he says, no, you go back to your community because he's alienated. He hasn't been connected with his family, his village, his community. Go back there and preach the good news. And then in John 8, uh, the wonderful story of the woman caught in adultery, he he cares about her. He protects her from being stoned to death. I'm not going to condemn you, but go and sin no more. So think about it. You know, that's I always think as a counselor, like, well, okay, that's pretty hard because she's got to go back to her village where everybody knows that she's cheated on her husband. She's got to go back to her husband. She's got to break off the relationship with her affair partner. She has to rebuild trust in the marriage. Uh, she has to put up with the scorn and the contempt of her neighbors and maybe her kids and relatives. So that's a tough task is, like, go and sin no more and try to put your life back together. So that's what a good helper should do is listen to me, be empathetic, challenge me to look at things from a different point of view, and then point out some action steps, help me to develop some next steps, some sane responses that, you know, maybe I need to make amends. And, and sometimes the action is just to suffer uh, with grace and dignity, right? So that, you know, the cancer's not going to go away, and my loved one's in hospice. So there's really, like, what do I do? Well, we bear up with that and not get resentful, bitter, lose our faith and trust in the Lord. Well, those are, those are action steps. We have to take some, uh, some, some behavioral steps there. A friend of mine is fond of saying, uh, there's a lot that's out of our control. Maybe most things are out of our control, the economy, the world situation, uh, other people in my life, but I'm never helpless. So if I bring that to God, like, God, I'm not helpless. I know that if you are with me and give me the grace and strength, 
you can help me to deal with the situation or to take some constructive action to make it better. And a good helper can point us that way. It's just not me and God or me all by myself. But if I've got people in my community, my parish, uh, people I trust, and it only takes one person. I've got, go, got one person that I can tell everything to, and they have those qualities that can really help me along with God's grace to make, make things better and deal with things. Well, and that's why I firmly believe it's so important for us to strengthen our parish communities so mm-hmm. that we have more opportunities to find out who in our uh, you know, community of faith, in our own parish, going to Mass with mm-hmm. us, receiving the Eucharist with us, is having trouble, right? So that we can yeah. uh, be those shoulders to lean on and, and mm-hmm. facilitate those spaces where we can get to know one another better and find out what people are struggling with, because a lot of these struggles are, are hidden mm-hmm. things. Um, and they're in the lives of people. Everybody we know is struggling with something we can't see. So this is great stuff, Kevin. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. day. Take care. All right. We got another full hour of the sunrise coming up for uh, sunrise morning show. That is coming up for many of you listening across the EWTN global Catholic radio network. You can head to sunrise morning show.com. If you want to find more about pastoral counselor, Kevin Prendergast or all of our guests, or join us on the live video stream. Please do stay with us. We're back right after this. It is three minutes before the hour. It is Thursday, the 19th of October. It's the Feast of the North American Martyrs. And let's pray the words of Psalm 130, which we'll hear at Mass today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my voice in supplication. If you, O Lord, mark iniquities, Lord, who can stand? But with you is forgiveness, that you may be revered. I trust in the Lord. My soul trusts in his word. My soul waits for the Lord more than sentinels wait for the dawn. With the Lord, there is mercy and fullness of redemption. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Martyrs of North America, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being along here on a Thursday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, we have much of which speak. Dr. John Bergman is going to be along. More thoughts on his book, Love Basics for Catholics. We'll talk about butter on Bible foods with Rita Heikenfeld. Maybe some of you all are putting that on some toast this morning. Uh, we'll discuss the, uh, the origins of butter in the Bible. Uh, Gary Machuda is going to continue our series on his book, The Gospel Truth, looking at the reliability of the Gospels. And then Courtney Brown has been doing a series with us on theology of the body for kids. So stay with us if you are able. Right now it is two minutes past the hour. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. The Biden administration is going to provide $100 million in humanitarian aid for civilians in Gaza and the West Bank. The administration said it will help support 
More than a million displaced Palestinians with clean water, food and medical care. President Biden said while visiting Israel yesterday that Hamas better not steal or divert the aid that the U.S. and other countries are working to funnel in the region. Meanwhile, Catholic Relief Services has called for immediate humanitarian access to Gaza and an immediate end to the violence. CRS reports that a blockade that's been in place in Gaza since 2007 has made for limited emergency supplies now and since October 7th. Electricity has been cut off and no food, water, fuel or other goods have been allowed so far into Gaza. They say some people already have run out of essential supplies. CRS president and CEO Sean Callahan released a statement yesterday saying, quote, millions are currently trapped, including a million children in a nightmare of violence and displacement with no end in sight. He said they need urgent humanitarian action. We cannot stand by and watch them suffer. We must act now to save lives and restore hope, end quote. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis called for another worldwide day of prayer and fasting for peace in the Holy Land and around the world. From Vatican Radio, Joseph Tullock reports. Le vittime aumentano e la situazione a Gaza è disperata. The number of victims is growing and the situation in Gaza is desperate. With these words, Pope Francis turned his thoughts to Palestine and Israel, pleading that everything possible be done to avoid a humanitarian catastrophe. The Holy Father also drew attention to the unsettling possibility that the armed conflict might expand. There are already so many open war fronts, he lamented. In light of these circumstances, he implored, lay down weapons and heed the cries for peace from the poor, the people and the innocent children. War solves no problems, he continued. It only sows death and destruction, increases hatred, multiplies revenge. It erases the future. The Holy Father went on to urge all believers to take one side only, that of peace. But not, he said, with words, with prayer and with total dedication. In this regard, Pope Francis invited everyone to a day of prayer, fasting and penance for peace. On Friday, the 27th of October, he encouraged people of different Christian denominations, other religions, and all those who advocate for peace to participate as they see fit. The central event will be an hour of prayer at 6 p.m. in St. Peter's Square, with the goal of invoking peace for the world. I'm Joseph Tullock. During his general audience catechesis, the Holy Father focused on St. Charles de Foucault as he continued his series on those who exemplify apostolic zeal. He said that St. Charles moved to the desert to cry out the gospel in silence and said, Charles lets Jesus act silently, convinced that the Eucharistic life evangelizes. He said, indeed, he believed that Christ is the first evangelizer. In Washington, another vote for Speaker of the House is expected today. This after Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan fell short of the 217 votes needed to be elected for the second time in two days, 22 Republicans voted against Jordan yesterday. That's two more than were opposed to him on Tuesday. Another vote is expected today. The chamber, meanwhile, has been unable to move any legislation following Kevin McCarthy's ouster weeks ago and will not be able until a new speaker is confirmed. The U.S. is targeting Iran's missile and UAV programs in new sanctions. 
Lisa Taylor has more. The Treasury Department press release says it sanctioned 11 individuals, eight in titles, and one vessel based in Iran and other countries that are enabling Iran's programs. This comes as the war in Gaza causes rising tensions in the Middle East. I'm Lisa Taylor. Earthquake drills will be held around the world today for International Shakeout Day. The drills are set to take place at 10.19 a.m. local time at schools and workplaces worldwide. More information can be found at shakeout.org. And the Astros picked up a crucial win in the American League Championship Series. Houston is now trailing the ALCS 2-1 to after downing the Texas Rangers 8-5 to in Game 3 at Globe Life Field yesterday. The series continues with Game 4 in Arlington tonight. In the National League side, the Diamondbacks are looking to climb out of their early hole in the NLCS. Arizona hosts the Philadelphia Phillies for Game 3 today at Chase Field. The Phillies currently lead the series 2-0 after crushing the Diamondbacks 10-0 in Game 2. Watch out for those Diamondbacks. They are resilient. Wow. They've, uh, they're, the, they're the upstart of the remaining four. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. The Phillies are. I hate to say, the Holy Spirit radio people are going to be just so tired of me and my uh, my Phillies <laughs> Phillies baggage. Your Phillies but, baggage. Uh, <laughs> Phillies baggage. But I I will say they are a fun team to watch. They are a fun team. They got to some watch. fun players. Yeah. It's and true. Uh, we'll we'll just see what happens. We shall see, as someone I know see. likes to say. Just so you know, if you ever develop a verbal crutch uh, as part of your radio broadcasting and you work on the Sunrise Morning Show, one of the other employees will remind you of it at every opportunity. At every Every. possible opportunity. Although you're nice to me because I don't know what my verbal crutches are because you don't exploit them. I know you don't, Jazzy. I know you do, Jazzy. That's true. (laughs) Today is Thursday, October the 19th. It is the Feast of the North American Martyrs. Pray for us. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. John Bergsma. We have been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. So, Doc, today we are going to unpack the theme of love in the story of Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. And this is uh, kind of a long story, so I'm not going to read the whole thing this morning, but these are the opening verses, John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Now, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, 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 near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, Doc, I want to start off complaining just a little bit here because I think after reading Love Basics for Catholics, John is being rather unfair in telling us biblically illiterate Catholics that Jesus was tired and and thirsty. And, you know, we just pass over this part of the story without giving it a moment's 
thought, but what is so significant about the fact that Jesus sits down at this well? Right. Well, as soon as he does so, we just know that a woman is going to show up. And Mm. why do we know that? Because we've watched a bunch of these movies before. (laughs) So we've we've watched a bunch of biblical rom-coms, right? Yep. Uh, Going back to Genesis 24 where Isaac, who's courting by proxy, uh, his, his uh, proxy uh, servant uh, comes into a town and comes to a well and ends up meeting Rebecca, who ends up as the bride. And then in Genesis 29, Jacob comes into a town and finds a well, and there he meets Rachel, and it's love at first sight, and Moses flees Egypt in Exodus chapter 2, and he comes to a well, and there he meets Zipporah, his future wife. Hmm. So Jesus sits down by the well, and like, okay, uh, a woman's going to show up. Although John throws in a wrinkle, he says it's um, the sixth hour, which would be noon by our uh, clocks, and that's a little wrinkle because we don't expect a woman to come at noon. Women usually come at dawn and at dusk, hmm. uh, water for the day and then water for the evening. And so it's a little wrinkle, like, well, we expect a woman, but this is an odd hour for one to show up. Well, lo and behold, a woman does show up um, in the following verse. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And this woman um, is the perfect woman to encounter Jesus here in Samaria. Tell us why. Yes. Well, as the story unfolds, we find out that this woman's personal history is a fairly good reflection of the spiritual journey of her people. Now, we're going to get ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but of course, you know, a conversation ensues, and it comes up, for example, that this woman has had five husbands. And if you go back and do a little history on the Samaritan people, you find out that they are descendants of the northern tribes of Israel, who intermarried with five different ethnic groups, Gentile groups, that came into uh, the territory of northern Israel after um, the Assyrians had exiled them back in the 700s. And they had also not only physically intermarried, but spiritually intermarried, Mm -hmm. so to speak, by worshiping these uh, Gentile gods that were brought in. So, again, the pattern of this woman's personal history you know, tracks very closely kind of with the spiritual biography of the Samaritan people. Well, Jesus says in verse 16, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. This you said truly. What does that mean? He whom you have now is not your husband. Oh, there's a couple layers of sense there. Um, What happened with the Samaritan people is when the Judeans came back from Babylon in exile and uh, 
rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem, the Samaritans became ashamed of their paganism that they had adopted, and they went back to exclusive worship of the Lord God of Israel. But they didn't do it in the proper way. They made their own temple, which wasn't authorized. And it was kind of like trying to, you know, excuse the expression, shack up with the Lord. They're trying to, (laughs) you know, be with God, but not according to the covenant, which stated that Jerusalem was the place where they should meet with God and, and go to God's house. And so the God that the Samaritans are worshiping was not in a covenant relationship. And that's like, as it were, not truly being married, just, again, trying to live together. And so Jesus says this to the woman. Now, it's, it's true of the woman's personal life, but also, again, a reflection of her people. And then there's also a, a, an even a second or third sense there, Anna, because she's with Jesus right there. Mm-hmm. You know, she, that's the man that's with her now, in a sense. And he is not yet her spiritual spouse, um, because she's not come to acknowledge him as the Messiah and the son of David yet. And so you have that sense as well going on. Well, it doesn't take long, though, does it? I mean, how do she and and these people in her town fulfill some of the the nuptial prophecies of the Old Testament by the end of this story? Sure. So she goes back and just announces that this prophet who knows everything about her uh, has just come in, and that creates a lot of curiosity, as you might imagine. Mm-hmm. And so the whole town empties out to go see uh, this this Jewish rabbi um, who is being acknowledged as a prophet. And after two days of hanging out with Jesus, they come to acknowledge him as the Messiah. And it's amazing because it's a fulfillment of Hosea chapter 2. Hosea was the only prophet sent exclusively to the northern tribes of Israel, and he's also the prophet best known for his romantic imagery, especially in chapter 2, where he speaks of the Lord coming to woo his people back to himself and speak tenderly to them. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in this passage, wooing the people of Israel back to himself. It just gives you chills when you when you understand all that is running through this story. It's just an incredible story. The Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter four, and you can read more about it in Love Basics for Catholics from Ave Maria Press. You can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. Bergsma, really appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Talk to you next time. Sounds good. I look forward to it. All right, it's 17 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Back with headlines right after this. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective, while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. 
Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. Are you prepared to vote? Citizens have co-responsibility for society. The moral theology tradition teaches that one may not vote for an enemy of religion or of freedom, except to exclude a worse enemy of religion and of freedom. Learn more so you're prepared when you vote this November. Visit EWTN.com slash vote for everything Catholic voters need to know before picking up a ballot. 19 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. President Biden will address the nation tonight from the Oval Office on the situation in the Holy Land as well as the situation in Ukraine. Catholic Relief Services is calling for immediate humanitarian access to Gaza. And during his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis called for another worldwide day of prayer and fasting for peace and focused on St. Charles de Foucault in his catechesis series on those who exemplify apostolic seal. Next newscast coming up in about 10 minutes. Anna Mitchell, while you were talking to Dr. John Bergsman, my hotel room had run out of coffee. So, oh, no. Uh, here, uh, here at the Catholic Radio Conference, this is a very important thing to do morning radio. So I just went down to the desk and asked for a couple more pods. And while I was down there, uh, I wanted to make sure to shout out the person that I saw who's up and early in Adam, one of the unsung heroes of the Catholic radio world. Radio affiliate coordinator Deborah Rice was coming <gasps> you in. You saw Deborah? She's setting stuff up for the day. Oh my gosh. Deborah's I, yeah. always sending nice replies you to guys, my like, mundane emails. Nobody know nobody hears Deborah Rice on the radio. But oh my gosh, is she important? I'm telling you, I send out like I'm the dumbest, so most boring email, and she's always like just so nice and says, "Oh, thank you for sending this." I'm like, "Deborah, you make my day every day." Every day. It's 21 past. A lot of you love anything pumpkin flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hello, this is Father Mark Watkins, pastor of St. Lawrence. The St. Monica Sodality Prayer for Fallen Away Catholics. 
Eternal and merciful Father, I give you thanks for the gift of your divine Son who suffered, died, and rose for all mankind. You gave St. Monica a spirit of selfless love manifested in her constant prayer for the conversion of her son, Augustine. Inspired by boundless confidence in your power to move hearts, I pray the grace to imitate her constancy in my heart for those who no longer share in the intimate life of your Catholic family. Grant through my prayer that they may be open to the promptings of your Holy Spirit and return to loving union with your Church. Grant that also my prayer be ever hopeful and that I may never judge another, for you alone can read hearts. I ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, it is time for Bible Foods with Rita Heikenfeld from AboutEating.com, and many of you are applying butter to your toast. Maybe uh, a pat of butter in your oatmeal on top of your pancakes. I don't know what you're doing for breakfast. Maybe you're frying up an egg or two in some butter. It's actually mentioned in the Bible. Rita, good morning. Well, good morning, and you're right about that. When I fry eggs, it's almost every day I use butter. Well, you got chickens, so you got to do something with those eggs. <laughs> Uh, but sure. where does it show up in the Bible? Oh, gosh, uh, more than a few places. A couple of the most familiar ones, Matt. Um, uh, one of the most familiar, you know, the passage about a land of milk and honey. Um, and we know that there had to be a whole lot of milk and, and cream from the animals like goats, camels, cows, and sheep. And then in Proverbs, um, in uh, chapter 30, this is a, a sort of a different one. As the churning of cream yields butter and a blow to the nose causes bleeding, so anger causes quarrels. And, and there's an analogy there, too. But, yeah, butter was a very, very common ingredient during Bible days. All right, so some people might say you got to cut back on the butter because it's going to clog your arteries. Uh, where's, your, uh, where's your stance on that, knowing, of course, that you're not a health professional? Well, you know what? Um, true, but here's my take on it. To me, your body knows what to do with something natural. Yeah, butter is a fat, but it's a natural fat. And I, like you, I just say just don't overdo, Matt. Um, I think it's a whole lot better than when you think of the hydrogenated shortening. So, yeah, butter certainly does have a place in our everyday cooking. As I said, just don't overdo. I would rather have real butter than weird fake oh, stuff. Yeah. Any day, yeah. <laughs> where you can't pronounce anything on the back of the tub, um, that's for sure. But let's talk about salted versus unsalted butter, because uh, I use salted butter for almost everything. But every now and then you'll see a recipe that calls for the unsalted specifically. Uh, so what's the point of salted versus unsalted? Well, salted butter, I think it adds flavor, but it also acts as a preservative. So that's why you can keep it in the fridge for a long time. Now, unsalted butter, it, it has a shorter shelf life in the fridge. Um, the taste is really, really good. But if you're going to buy um, butter on sale, especially unsalted, keep it in the freezer for long uh, periods of time. All right. So do you ever swap out salted versus unsalted butter uh, in recipes at all? Oh, yeah, a, a lot of times. And, and I think in most cases, I agree with you, um, you can do that. But here's the deal. If a recipe, if all you have is salted butter and the recipe definitely calls for unsalted, um, just add a little less salt to the recipe. But pretty much I use them, you know, swap them one for one. 
And as I said, I know you do too. So uh, while we're talking breakfast stuff, I, I don't know if you've ever run across this with any of your people who uh, are into like paleo keto stuff. You know anybody who ever puts butter in their coffee? Mm, not have heard of that one. Okay. It's like a thing. I know some people who swear by it. Uh, I'll, I'll just have to, uh, I'll have to trust them. It's, it's a little bit weird. The other thing that my uh, dad used to do, uh, and I remember this as a kid, is he would, uh, we'd get donuts, and he'd put a donut in the microwave for about 15 seconds. Then he would take it out and butter it. So oh, he's still alive. Well, he's and still you know alive. what? <laughs> <laughs> well, that just shows you it didn't overdo, but that's pretty cool. I know um, just like some people have to have ketchup or jelly on their eggs, so that's not a bad thing. You know, butter's okay. Butter, indeed. Well, you've got a praline crunch snack mix that l- looks amazing. I love pralines. I could eat my weight in pralines. And this looks like it would be a great, just like a fall snack to maybe even take on a trail. Oh, yeah, and it is. And um, I'll have the complete recipe along with a spicy buffalo check mix recipe on my site. And basically the, the praline crunch snack mix, you take um, some oat square cereal and some pecans, or you could use other nuts too, and um, it's, you just basically put those in a bowl and mix them up. And then syrup, sort of like the caramel popcorn syrup, out of brown sugar, corn syrup, butter, vanilla, little baking soda, and salt. But then you're going to add some cinnamon to that, too. And you pour, you know, you cook um, the syrup on the stove and then coat the cereal mixture um, really well with it. And then just like the caramel corn, you pour it onto cookie sheets and bake it at 250, about 45 minutes or so. And I usually stir it every 15 minutes. Um, after it cools, you break it into pieces, and you get that uh, praline flavor um, along with a little bit of savory fit flavors as well. It, yeah, it's pretty addictive, I have to say. I'm telling you, it sounds amazing. you got the buffalo mix as well, too. Oh, yeah, and this is one I thought of you with because you and your love of hot, hot flavors. Um, it's a fun one, too. You start off with some uh, rice checks and wheat checks, um, or even oat checks, and then some cheese-flavored crackers and some pretzel twists, those little little tiny ones, and you mix all that up. And then you just melt um, some butter and some hot wing sauce. Uh, we like the buffalo. Uh, dry ranch dressing. I know it sounds weird, but it's good. Um, and if you have any celery seed or celery salt, a little bit of that. You melt that. Again, you pour it over the, the cereal um, pretzel cracker mix. And you can either microwave it or uh, bake it in the oven, like the pecan praline mix. And, um, again, after it's cooled, it's crunchy, it's savory, a little bit sweet, and just so delicious. So either one of those are great for snacking, especially this time of year when we're outdoors a lot. I'm about to say, I think I know what I'm going to bring to my next church potluck. My goodness. (laughs) And you'll, you'll adapt it, too, I know. I'm going to put the buffalo Chex Mix on the appetizer table, and I'll put the praline snack mix at the dessert table, and we'll be set. So there you have it. Yeah. Well, Rita Heikenfeld, thank you as always. And we've got abouteating.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com, including those recipes in the show notes for the praline crunch snack mix and the spicy buffalo Chex Mix. Rita, have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you soon. Yep, Matt, I'll talk to you next week. And again, it is the Feast of the North American Martyrs. St. Isaac Jogues, St. John de Brebeuf, who named the game of lacrosse. So happy feast day to all the lacrosse players out there listening this morning. Half past the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with news.
Good morning. President Biden will be giving a primetime speech tonight about the attacks in Israel and the war in Ukraine. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre says Biden's speech from the Oval Office will begin at 8 p.m. Eastern time. The president was back in Washington last night after a brief visit to Israel, where he met with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in a show of U.S. solidarity. Meanwhile, the administration is wanting to provide $100 million in humanitarian aid for civilians in Gaza and the West Bank. More from Mark Mayfield. The administration said it will help support more than one million displaced Palestinians with clean water, food and medical care. President Biden, while visiting Israel, warned Hamas not to steal or divert the aid that the U.S. and other countries are working to funnel into the region. The humanitarian crisis in Gaza has grown dire as the area has been repeatedly hit with retaliatory Israeli strikes. Biden also wants to secure financial assistance for Israel. I'm Mark Mayfield. Catholic Relief Services is calling for humanitarian access to Gaza and an immediate end to the violence there. CRS reports that a blockade that's been in place in Gaza since 2007 has made for limited emergency supplies now. And since October 7th, electricity has been cut off and no food, water, fuel or other goods have been allowed into Gaza. They say some people have already run out of essential supplies. CRS president and CEO Sean Callahan released a statement saying, quote, millions are currently trapped, including one million children in a nightmare of violence and displacement with no end in sight. They need urgent humanitarian action. He said, we cannot stand by and watch them suffer. We must act now to save lives and restore hope, end quote. Pope Francis will be leading a prayer vigil for peace. Next Friday, October 27th, the Holy Father made the announcement yesterday during his general audience as he called for that day to be a worldwide day of prayer and fasting for peace. The Holy Father will lead an hour of prayer in St. Peter's Square at 6 p.m. Rome time on the 27th and invited all particular churches to take part by organizing similar initiatives. During his general audience catechesis, the Holy Father focused on St. Charles de Foucault as he continued his series on those who exemplify apostolic zeal. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. Born in Strasbourg in 1858, St. Charles served as a soldier in the French army before becoming a hermit and a Catholic priest among the Tuareg people in Algeria, where he was assassinated in 1916. The Pope said the saint made Jesus and his poorest brothers and sisters the passion of his life. After his conversion, St. Charles wrote to a non-believing friend that he had lost his heart to Jesus of Nazareth. Pope Francis said that his words show that the first step in evangelizing is to have Jesus at the center of one's heart. If this does not happen, we can hardly show it with our lives, he said. Instead, we risk talking about ourselves or a morality, but not about Jesus, his love and his mercy. The Pope noted that St. Charles de Foucault moved from attraction to Jesus to imitation of Jesus and even felt like a younger brother to the Lord. He went so far as to move to the most remote of places, the Sahara Desert, to live among the Tuareg people, to cry out the gospel in silence. Charles let Jesus act silently, convinced that the Eucharistic life evangelizes, said the Pope. Indeed, he believed that Christ is the first evangelizer. The saints spent up to ten hours a day in prayer before the tabernacle, trusting Jesus to carry out the work of evangelization. 
In conclusion, Pope Francis invited everyone to live with Christian joy, meekness, tenderness, compassion, and closeness. With his smile and simplicity, concluded the Pope, Brother Charles bore witness to the gospel through attraction. I'm Devin Watkins. In Washington, a third vote will be held today to possibly elect Ohio Republican Jim Jordan as the next Speaker of the House. After failing to get the necessary votes following a second round of ballots yesterday, Jordan told reporters he plans to keep talking with members of his party to try to flip holdouts. Twenty-two Republicans voted against Jordan yesterday. That's two more than were opposed to him on Tuesday's first vote. A third speaker vote is scheduled for noon Eastern today. The chamber has been unable to move any legislation following Kevin McCarthy's ouster. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35. It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Heart of St. Paul. A common question that many people ask concerns whether or not their actions are in union with the will of God. It's clear to St. Paul that God does not keep us guessing whether or not we are doing his will. God will always give us indicators to help us know if we are on the right path. St. Paul refers to these in the letter to the Galatians as fruits of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. If one is trying to live in the presence of God, these fruits will be seen in one form or another. They all flow from the Holy Spirit and help us in our love of God and neighbor, as well as with the personal struggles that occur in our souls. The fruits are more than passing feelings. They become, as we draw closer to Christ, the ordinary way in which we live our lives. With these gifts comes a humble awareness that we must depend on God to care for us and at the same time realize that God depends on us to use these fruits as seeds to plant in the hearts of others. The experience of the fruits show us that our souls are not arid deserts, but lush gardens, places where we can dwell with God in prayer. Let us ask the Lord that the fruits of the Holy Spirit that we enjoy can be enjoyed by others through our loving service to them. This is what we learn from the heart of St. Paul. The Sunrise Morning Show continues on this Feast of the North American Martyrs. Pray for us. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Gary Machuda. He is from Hands-On Apologetics. He's got a great book we've been going through called The Gospel Truth, and it is an exploration of why we can trust the gospel narratives and the accounts of the life of Christ. Gary, good morning. Morning, Matt. So there are a couple of different aspects of this question that I want to explore today. Um, one would be the gospel's reliability uh, can be understood at least a little bit by understanding how, I, I guess, dramatic it would be for someone to accept these claims, right? Because, you know, these days in the workplace, you know, we might have a coworker 
and uh, Bob finds Jesus, and suddenly Bob's not cussing at work anymore, and it was like, yeah, maybe we won't invite Bob to the bar anymore. He's you know living differently now. The consequences were significantly more drastic for a Jew who would have accepted the teachings of Christ in those days, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you realize that Jesus isn't uh, a neutral figure, right? And like you just pointed out, today one's religion seems to be a, a personal preference. There isn't a lot of risk involved. But for, uh, for a Jew to investigate whether Jesus is the Messiah and come to the conviction that he was, uh, it would be a, a huge change. I mean, he essentially would be affirming that the leaders that surround him in that day was wrong, and they not only were wrong, but they put the Messiah to death. Uh, you would also be incumbent upon you to uh, to become Christian and join uh, Christianity's sacramental economy, which means that you would stop practicing all these customs and ceremonial laws that have been practiced by you since birth and by your family for centuries, like, you know, ritual circumcision, dietary regulations, temple sacrifices, all those things you would suddenly have to stop and live by uh, the New Covenant. And uh, so not only that, but you would also have uh, your leaders who believe that Jesus was a false messiah and false prophet who misled Israel, that you would be following a apostate, you know, and uh, that could lead to persecution, perhaps even death. And then, you know, lest we forget, Jesus, of course, was executed by the Romans as an insurrectionist, you know. He claimed to be the king of the Jews. And so not only that, but it would also put you afoul of the Romans as well, because you'd be following somebody that could be a uh, contender to Caesar. So I bring this up because this idea of the the disincentives, as it were, (laughs) to just you know, following your mood and uh, being taken in by a charlatan. I mean, there's some strong disincentives, right? Uh, we're talking yeah. about losing everything, including your life, in an extremely painful way. And what this tells me is I think about my own work with the Coming Home Network, and especially working with the Protestant ministers we talk to who are becoming Catholic. Now, they're not likely to face Roman torture and execution, but they are going to face some of those cultural consequences and possibly even employment. And you know what? Those guys do, those ladies who are in those situations do, they investigate this thing very, very seriously. They want to verify all the fine print right before they make this yeah, decision. Right. It's going to do all kinds of things. So if that's what people are doing now, does that help us understand that people would have done the same thing if they'd heard these stories about Christ, that they would want to have some kind of verification on them? Yeah, exactly. I think that's an excellent parallel. Because for a Protestant minister especially to become Catholic, uh, basically their whole social net is destroyed, you know. Uh, They could be alienated from their closest friends. And also, you know, you have been educated to do this. This is your calling. This is also your career. And uh, to become Catholic would mean that you walk away from that. And, you know, and there's lots of uncertain prospects as to, how you could serve the Lord in those capacities within Catholicism. So, yeah, I think that is a great parallel, because if it's true today, where, like I said, religion is more of a personal preference than uh, a total life change. I mean, how much more so back in the first century? 
and so speaking of the first century, these gospels are written during that time period. And, you know, if we want to try and figure out what would someone who didn't see Christ in person, um, only heard the stories and was compelled to investigate them, like, what if we had an account by one of those people? Well, the thing is, we do, right? Like, isn't that Luke's account? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was uh, one of those examples where we find in the New Testament where people actually went out and verified things. In fact, he begins his gospel by saying that uh, that there were already narratives circulating uh, in writing about Jesus, and he decided to reinvestigate everything from the beginning accurately anew and put it into an orderly sequence for this person named Theophilus, who was apparently... Uh, undergoing catechesis. Uh, the word there in Greek is actually where we get the word catechesis from. And so Luke is a great example of someone from the very beginning who checked everything out. They verified whether the claims were true, and he passes on his findings to Theophilus and to us today. Well, and some people, uh, you know, kind of cringe at this, the idea that certain gospel writers might have borrowed other details and things from other gospels, and they're like, oh, no, but that makes it sound like they're not inspired. Well, Luke doesn't even pretend that he's not doing that. I mean, Luke Luke is pretty clear that, yeah. hey, I'm actually looking at these earlier accounts, right? He's actually using source material, just like anybody would do a research paper by reading source documents. I mean, Luke is pretty clear that that's what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and even Mark, um, there's a theory that was put out um, by a theologian named Bernard who believed that Mark was actually stenographically taking down uh, Peter's preaching in Rome, and that Peter may have had the, the Gospel of Mark before, or excuse me, the Gospel of Matthew before him, and his preaching kind of like fills in the details that Matthew misses. And I, I think that's a really interesting theory on a number of levels. First, the idea that, you know, there was this technology of uh, stenographically, you know, uh, recording people's words, so it's like a live recording of events that's both in Latin and Greek in the first century, and also the fact that, you know, there, there's nothing preventing the Gospel writers from also, you know, uh, using other resources as well and using their personal testimony from what they experienced to enhance it. Well, and not only that, um, the idea that these apostles are making these accounts not in a vacuum, but with one another, right? The apostles are still, you know, connected to yeah. one another for some time. So they would have been verifying with each other the details and making sure that they were remembering things correctly, right? As they're telling the stories back to one another over and over again, or as they're going out preaching and one apostle is hearing another apostle preach, right, and is standing by making sure that what that apostle says matches with the experience of what this other apostle had, right? Uh, I mean, this is right. these are these are such fascinating layers because if you just pick up the Bible as a book, right, and forget like the real world out of which it came, like it's easy to dismiss it. But once you start thinking about it, you're like, oh, no, they would have had to have verified this stuff before they put it out there. Yeah, and then not only that, but you also have the wider group of disciples, which is much more numerous, that they also would be hearing this and repeating it and so on. Yeah, it's like layer upon layer of witnesses that if somebody innovated something, it would have stuck out like a sore thumb, and it would have been immediately rejected by the group. 
Well, I mean, just think about the account of the feeding of the 5,000. Like, if any of those 5,000 were to hear that story and be like, that's not how it went down, right? Like, there were a lot of people who could have contested that account. Um, but, yeah, it's fascinating. Well, thank you so much, Gary Machuda. If our listeners want to get a copy of your book, The Gospel Truth, and maybe connect with you uh, and Hands-On Apologetics, how do they do so? Yeah, go to handsonapologetics.com, or you could get the book at stpaulcenter.com. Linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thank you so much, Gary. Have a great day. You too, Matt. All right. Courtney Brown joins us next from Ruah Woods, plus headlines with Anna Mitchell. It's 14 till. We need your help. Hello, I'm Marianne Kuharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. Our ads feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy help. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. To donate, please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. Isn't it awesome that we today do not recognize his presence in the Eucharist? Is it because we really don't go to him in humbleness of heart and say, Lord, I don't believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I want to see you. I want to recognize you. I cannot live without you. Are we saying that? EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Hi, this is Cy Keller. Later today on Catholic Answers Live, Tom Nash, Jimmy Aiken, call with any question you've got. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 12 till, here's Anna with headlines. President Biden will be giving a speech tonight about the attacks in Israel as well as the war in Ukraine. Catholic Relief Services has called for humanitarian access to Gaza and an immediate end to the violence in the Holy Land. And during his general audience catechesis yesterday, the Holy Father focused on St. Charles de Foucault as he continued his series on those who exemplify apostolic seal. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Courtney Brown, Executive Director of the Rua Woods Institute. We're continuing our series of mini lessons based on their K-12 through theology of the body curriculum called Revealed. Courtney, welcome back. 
Oh, thank you. How are you doing this morning? I am doing fine. Excited to talk to you about this and get this little mini lesson from the kindergarten curriculum. Can you talk yeah. about, we're going to kind of move into sort of the second half of, of the kindergarten curriculum this morning, focused on how your body is a gift from God. What a countercultural idea we have to talk about today, Courtney. That is, yeah. So in the beginning, when we were talking last week about where we start with the idea of original solitude, you know, Pope John Paul II talks about that self-determination, the, the interior part of man where you discover who he is in relation to creation and who he is in relation to God. But though the unique thing about theology of the body is when GP2 talks to us about when Christ assumes a body and now takes on a theology. So our body-soul composite, now our bodies have a certain type of dignity, and we are our bodies. And the fact that we are created as male and female communicate something of who God is and who we are. And so with the kindergarten, we do, at the end of our lessons, we look at the body being a gift and how important that is, especially in today's culture, where because when most people hear the term uh, the body, they, they think of things they want to change about it, or it's become very, for lack of a better term, utilitarian mm-hmm. view of it, like I can change this to make myself look better, or I need to look like this, we compare it. And instead, the starting point really is, from the very beginning, the starting point was that this is a gift. And Adam and Eve, when they saw each other, didn't reduce each other to a body part. Instead, saw all of the person, right? They saw the gift. They saw wonder. They saw awe. Well, this is kind of a, I mean, this this can be sort of a sensitive topic anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, particularly when you're talking about little, little kids in in kindergarten. So how do you communicate to them the gift of the male and the female body? You know, it's a great question. And what we do is just simply talk to them about the fact that they're a boy or girl and the fact that you do have that body and God has created you and you are a child of God. It starts simply by the fact Mm. that because of that, you are uh, what we call... um, just a gift, that the fact that you're a boy is a gift, and the fact that you're a girl is a gift, and you are a son, that you are a son of God, and you are a daughter of God. And when you do, like, an activity as kids get older, our culture seems to place identity based off of what you're good at or what you've been affirmed in. So, like, if you ask the question, who are you, they'll say, I'm smart, I'm tall, I'm athletic. Uh, But it's rare to hear a kid say, I'm a son or I'm a daughter, which essentially flows into when we recognize that because we're a son, that means we're a brother. And because you're a daughter, that means you're a sister. So we have activities in here that highlight what it means to be a son and what it means to be a daughter in their own reflection. So what we do is we have these guided learning questions. So we do this dialectic approach with, we teach the teacher to do this too, if you're a parent reading this or whatnot, that's asking questions and things of that nature. And as you know, we use stories and the fact that you're male and female, that distinction means there's purpose. Mm-hmm. So there's a story that we use. It's called the egg is quiet. And in that story, as we move to there's a certain order, design, and meaning to why we're created male and female. And in this story, it's kind of interesting. It, uh, it talks about the differences in eggs. Like, And I know that sounds silly, but what, it's like, what is an egg? So the book presents several, char- several characteristics 
of a variety of different ages found along in creation. Yeah, so I got to get a copy of this book. I had <laughs> never heard of this book before I was looking through this curriculum, and my yeah. kids will own this book very so soon, the book Courtney. Is called, <laughs> yeah, it's An Egg is Quiet. It's by Diana Aston, illustrated by Sylvia Long. But essentially what it is is like seabirds lay pointy eggs while dogfish eggs have tentacles. But when we see in the pages, as in detail in the paintings, that the world is created with a certain order and beauty, but also these eggs, like one may be pointy so that it doesn't roll, um, uh, not pointy, they have bumps on it so that it doesn't roll off the cliff. Mm. Or it's a little bit more gooey because it doesn't need to dry out. So the egg has a specific purpose, order, and design. And our body, because it was created by God, does have a purpose. And then the fact that we created male and female shows to that purpose. And then the last lesson, because this is lesson eight and lesson nine, talks about how we're a family and we're in God's family as well. So we see this progression of what JP2 and the theology lays out, that we start as sons and daughters, being male and female, which flows into the idea of our, well, how are we to act? We're, we're brother and sister. And then from there, it leads to this uh, fruitful calling of being a spouse. And some are obviously, as we know, a call to become priests or religious or nuns and things of that nature. But then it also flows into that gift of fatherhood and motherhood. So there's this, like, progression. And it's good to see it as, like, a tree versus um, steps along the way. Because as we know, some people aren't married, and there's things called spiritual fatherhood, mentor fatherhood, uh, spiritual motherhood, and being mentors of such. So I know at times, like, people will find themselves in different situations where families are broken or they come from not what we would consider what the original plan was, but God's still very much present there. In fact, a lot of redemption comes from those experiences, and that this teaching is also for them, too. So, you know, when, when, we're, when we're talking about family and when we're talking about the boys and the girls and, and those kinds of things, it does conjure up a lot of confusion in, in some respect, but we could always present the, the teach, this teaching and show them the dignity that God has placed in our body. Absolutely. And that it's good, even yeah. if we feel that it's not. Yeah. I uh, was so struck in this egg book, An Egg is Quiet, just this awe that could be inspired in the children for the gift that is life. As as you progress through this book and learn about different eggs, and then you... <laughs> And then the egg is noisy as it uh, cracks open and brings about new life. And I was I was kind of laughing at the additional reading recommendations at the end of here, which um, one of which is, are you my mother? And I was just yeah. thinking about how countercultural that book is now. <laughs> like, No, well, I'm not your uh, mother. Just a quick point to that. The the point of movement isn't interior, like, well, that's how I see it. It's more, well, what is the objective reality? Like, what's going on Absolutely. outside of me, too, We've been talking to Courtney Brown. You can find the Revealed curriculum linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Courtney, thank you so much. Yeah, God bless. You too, thank you. All right, that'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. God bless.